Are you wanting to go on vacation, but worried about being attacked by brigands? Boy, am I ever. My last trip to the coast, my children were abducted from me. Well, you don't have to worry about that with No Frills Gnome, the safest travel agency around. Find your gnome away from home. But how are you going to make sure that I get there safely? In two words, gunpowder. But won't that just end up getting me killed? Not necessarily. With our patented travel cannon, we launch our customers to their desired destination. But is it effective? Certainly. In 42% of cases, our customers arrive unharmed and to the proper destination. Wow! Sign me up, No Frills Gnome! This time on Becoming DM, we're getting down into the details of travel in your campaign. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And before we get started, just want to make sure that everybody is aware, back in episode 19, we did have an episode talking about making travel interesting. So if you wanted to get a nice start, um, that's a good place to go, uh, becomingdm.com slash EP19. But we are going to get a lot more into the details on this episode, as well as expand into some other things that we just didn't talk about in, in that first episode, uh, talking about planar travel and, and, and time travel and all sorts of other things. So let's just jump right into it. And, and Danielle, I'm just going to ask you the question, why is travel important in role-playing games? You know, that's, uh, it's because everyone's doing it. Everyone. Everyone. Everyone, <laughs> you can, everyone, and you can almost, you can basically guarantee that. I still have to add the precursor. I can't ever just say everyone's doing it because, because you never know. Somebody's like, no, in my campaign, everyone's a statue, um, and shoots <laughs> we all just beams hang out, out in the city eyes. all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you. Every campaign has traveling. You got to get from point A to point B. And so you can yep. make travel more interesting, but there's also the nitty-gritty, the the rules of traveling, all the fun things that you can do with traveling um at its essence. Like you said uh, in the intro there's there's time travel interdimensional um which is, you know, can be maybe a little bit more interesting than jumping on a horse. Uh <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Just Probably. depends. Hopefully, it's, it's just a it's just a really gregarious horse. Make a good time of it. Um, but yeah, so. a gregarious horse. Wow, that's going to be the name of my next horse. Is gregarious? <laughs> I know it doesn't make sense, this, but hey. I shortened it to Greg. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little bit punchy today, folks. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's go ahead and jump into what we're going to call standard travel. That means we're just traveling from point A to point B. We're not going into a different world, a different time, anything like that. And I, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, we're going to get nitty gritty on the rules. As I said at the beginning, nitty gritty details. That's, uh, that's what we're doing this episode. So um, when we talk about standard travel, the one of the things you have to understand is the pace. Um, so if you have a, a distance between city A and ruins B, and you know what that distance is, if you understand what the pace of the party is, then 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 you know how long it takes for them to get there, right? 
Yeah, it's when you, if you have a pretty common party setup, then once you figure out your pacing once, you basically never need to do it again. And if you're fortunate enough to have your entire party, um, nobody's got like an outlandish move speed. You know, it's like, it's a whole party amongst, everybody's got a move speed of 50 or something. Yeah, then you're <laughs> going to have to do some stuff. But under normal circumstances, well, at least in D&D, um, your standard move speed is, is, there's a little chart. In the DMG, you can just go look at it. Um, it's probably printed if you have uh, one of the store-bought DM screens. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's probably like right on there. This is your average move speed. So if any, yeah, if I think your party, it, I think it's I think it's on the one that is included with the um, the, with the uh, essentials pack. kit, mm-hmm. as well as the three pack. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you got everybody moving twenty-five to thirty um, to thirty-five, I think. Uh, they all fall within the normal range. Um, the only time that you're really going to need to do any additional calculating is, say, your party picks up, you know, somebody from the infirmary, uh, you know, so that they got this guy hobbling with crutches beside them, or they're, you know, dragging a huge load because your party refuses to leave the wagon with the broken wheel, and so they're dragging it across the land <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of just carrying it. And you're going to or- have to. You know, figure out how this stuff works. Yeah, and in in the in that same vein, if you uh, if you recently had um, the party in, encounter something and and do battle with something where there were longer lasting injuries, we've talked about some monsters and my favorite monsters that have petrification ability and mm-hmm. and and do damage to strength or dexterity, and all those things could come into play where it makes them move faster, and you're probably going to want to adjust that travel speed um, down as a result. Yeah, and and uh, it can have a lot of impact. Well, it depends on what you're doing in your campaign. Obviously, if if you know that there's nothing that's going to really happen on the road between point A and point B, um, you can just throw out whatever number you want. <laughs> you get there two days later. Um, you know, you don't now, need to figure it out. It can be important, though, if you have a campaign that is very time-bound. As we've talked about before, mm-hmm. having those time-bound things where you need to get this done in this many days, weeks, or whatever. And if travel time is now taking 50% longer and that 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 three-day trip is now four and a half, that's going to seriously impact the ability of the party to get the job done, which, again, can add some interesting decisions to their to their uh their game playing like do we drag along our petrified comrade or just say you're gonna have to catch up with us man or we gotta get <laughs> we gotta get to to this and defeat the the dude over here uh, in a week yeah just like staple a fly scroll to his like <laughs> <laughs> like his statue there <laughs> you go when you come out of that you can catch up um, so yeah, if you, if you do have all of a sudden a surprisingly slow party member, or you just want to figure out your own move, move speed by yourself, it's pretty easy to do. Um, because a round of D and D is six seconds, I think. Yep. And so you just multiply your slowest move speed by 10 and that'll give you your feet per minute, multiply it again by 60 and that'll give you feet per hour. And then I use online converters, um, especially when I'm dealing with feet because I'm <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> so I, I'm mostly used to working with like kilometers and stuff. And so I just go to Google or whatever. I've got a calculator on my phone that'll convert things from feet into miles. And I think that you guys have some sort of tomato rhyme to go from like feet to miles or something. 
Oh, I have no idea. That's what I that's heard it news once. to it's me. Like three, it's like 2,280 feet in a mile or something. I don't know. It was a, it was it's a rhyme. 5,280, 5, if I remember 5, correctly. 5,280. Well, I was It's a close. little bit off from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might not uh, really understand the system. <laughs> well, so this actually begs a question that, I, that I've always been curious about, being that you're, you're in Canada. When you play and you do travel and you communicate to the players how far something is, do you being in Canada, communicate that in kilometers? Or since it's all in feet and you're doing all this calculation, do you communicate it in miles and feet and stuff? You know, Canada is actually really weird because we're a mix of both systems. And so in Canada, and, and this this works for regular life as well as D&D, if something is within about five miles, I'll say miles. If it goes over five miles, then I express it in kilometers. Hmm. Yeah, it it makes no sense. But I'm like, yeah, it's just two <laughs> miles down the road. It's like, no, no, that's that city's a hundred kilometers away. It's and if I say it the other way around, people won't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, aside from doing the calculation to figure out how far the party can travel, if you were in a completely homebrew world, uh, the distance between locations is really up to you. So, as the DM. Uh, you can decide, well, your map's just not accurate. These two places look like they're close together, but the guy that drew this map really just didn't know. And you can really determine how many days it's going to take the party to go from point A to point B without necessarily worrying as much about the distances until you get to things like, oh, now we've got mounts. What's How long is it going to take now? Uh, let me do some math calculation. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point is, is if it's a homebrew world that the pacing and the distance are a little bit easier to fudge, um, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only time you really need to get into the into the nitty-gritty of the move speed is, like you said before, when you have some timed element of your campaign and it, it forces a, an important decision. You know, there's, there's no sense in being like, it's going to take you 36 hours to get from here to there. Do you have one and a half rations? It's... Probably not worth it to do every time. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, otherwise, like, oh, we'll stop and hunt. Okay, well, that's going to take, okay, <laughs> how, much, how much time is it going to take to hunt and this and that? And, all right, 40, 42 hours, okay? <laughs> yeah, and next thing you know, they're planting wheat. You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when your party is cruising along, um, so eat like uh, overland traveler or whatever, they can move at slow, normal, or fast pace, um, which is, it's, I like the way that uh, 5e did this, because if they move at a slow pace, they their movement speed is reduced by half, um, but that also enables them to use stealth. So if they are, if they're not sure what's in the forest that they want to go through, they can slowly move through the forest, and that enables them to be able to use stealth which is handy, you know, for tigers and things. Uh, But if they're moving at a fast pace, um, that will actually give them a minus five to their perception. It doubles their movement speed, which is handy if they're chasing something or just trying to get from point A to point B. They've got time restraints. And that can be kind of fun to work into a campaign because then you can have them be surprised by a trap or something like that, something that they might have perceived if they weren't in such a rush. 
and you can leverage the uh, the passive perception with that negative for that. Um, generally speaking, if they're not actively looking for something, that's what you would you would do in the in the D and D world. So it'd be five off of that uh, off of that passive perception to see if they found the trap that they just happened to stumble upon. Mm-hmm. I always like passive perception. Passive perception. I don't honestly use that a whole lot, but it's an interesting. Like especially when you're talking about this this kind of fast moving because then you don't have to have the party keep rolling and rolling and rolling, especially since they're not actively looking for anything and, and you're like, uh, there might be something here. Roll. <laughs> I I like passive perception and when I say I use it, I'm using air quotes, you just can't see me. So everybody knows air quotes. <laughs> um <laughs> I I say your perception caught this, right? Um I've I think I've rolled for it like twice. And I hope that nobody who plays my games listens to this. <laughs> but yeah, I well, never. With, pa- with passive, you don't actually roll. <laughs> it's it's a it's a DC against what their passive yes, perception just, score is. So yeah, it's just a number, and so it's like, well, you will probably notice this because you're a you're a you know it 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 for me as the DM, it gives me an opportunity to just make people notice things without having mm-hmm. to get them to actually interact with the world. <laughs> yeah. Sounds terrible when I say it out loud, actually. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on, uh, there's there's also what's called a forced march. Um, this gets a little bit away from just your regular walking because if somebody's walking down the lane or something, um, that's that's all fine and dandy. But a forced march is either somebody's making them march or they're making themselves march, right? So it's like we have to get from point A to point B and it's not eight hours away. It's, it's 26 hours away, right. Of constant walking, but they, they're under this time restraint and so they have to do it. And so a forced March, you can make people walk over the standard travel time, which is eight hours in a day. And that's what all the rates are figured out to is eight hours of travel in a day. And uh, you can make them walk over that. But for every additional hour of travel, the characters move, um, they will start having to make uh, constitution rolls, right? So if, if I travel, if my party has to travel for 26 hours, then every hour past the eight, they're making rolls, which is a lot because it's DC 10 plus one for each hour past eight. So I think that would be, they would, it would be impossible to roll virtually <laughs> to actually be able to do that. The, the example that I said, um, I just but, stack up those levels of exhaustion because that's what happens if you fail that. So just you get really exhausted. <laughs> yeah. And so you'd get people who were like, you know, you and I think it could be really interesting. I've never actually done it. I would like to. I'm going to try and incorporate it in the nearish future. Um, but yeah, just to have just they have to force through. They have to push through, um, you know, this great big walk and they get this. I think I like the levels of exhaustion thing. Right. And so mm-hmm. people have to work through it and maybe help their party members along those who aren't doing so good at their constitution saves. So the yep. dwarf by the end of it is ending up, you know, piggybacking like the little halfling or something. Yeah, and just for for those of you at home that are playing Pathfinder, that DC is going to be 10 plus 2 per hour. Um mm-hmm. so you you're going to get to that point where you're um, almost certainly getting exhausted a lot sooner um, than maybe you would in in the in the D and D game. So uh-huh. something to keep in mind. The constitution of the Pathfinder folks not so high. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, that's actually just double as bad to walk for a long time. Um, As a side note. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, as far as as far as uh, mounts are concerned in Pathfinder, I read this. Um, if a like if a mount you're trying to force march a mount, they automatically fail forced march Constitution saves. So if you are trying to make your horse just walk forever, um, it's not going to do good. It's it's never going to make that save, and all damage that the horse takes is lethal. So it will just die. Yeah, I have a player in one of the games that I play with that would really be upset about that because, <laughs> because she is very uh, excited when her character encounters a horse and must possess the horse. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, but moving on to uh, talk a little bit about overland chases. So this is where you're you're trying to trying to catch something but it's not in in a battle scenario there's some distance between you you're trying to catch up or maybe you're trying to get away from somebody it could could also be that and um and so in pathfinder it kind of deals with it uh round by round um generally speaking the the group with the faster speed and again we're talking about the lower speed in this case um is going to catch the the slower so if you're ahead and you've got the faster feet, obviously you're going to get away. Um, if they're matched in those quick pursuits, then what you're going to do, so if you've got two groups where the speed is 30 and you're just kind of running, 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 um, you'll roll dexterity to see who's faster over that short distance. And then for longer pursuits, um, it goes down to a, a constitution roll to see who can sustain their pace the longest um, to, to see who can either get away or, or catch up. Mm. You know, before before this, I, I went through and I read the rules both for Pathfinder and actually as a heads up to everybody, um, I've I've done D&D for a long time and 5E is to my knowledge, 4 might have had it, but I didn't look, um, but they finally added rules for doing over or for doing chase scenes um, in D&D. They finally added it. And so I was excited after I read the Pathfinder rules, I went and found the, the 5E ones. And <laughs> so they finally did it. They finally did it. But boy, did they not simplify it. There's, there's, <laughs> well, there's, there's like 15 steps. It's like do this and then do that and then do this. And they have you setting up a board and, and put this guy here and put that guy here and then, and then do all these rolls, figure it out and then move this guy one back or one forward. And it's like, do you, do we really need all of, like, it just seems like it would bog down the game. But when I read Pathfinders, it's just like, yeah, everybody rolls, ha, you lose, you know, or ha, you win. It's, <laughs> it's super. It's it's quick, concise, and I like the idea of rolling that dex save, or not a dex save, but a dexterity roll. Because if two people are chasing, well, this person you know dodged that 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 uneven flagstone piece, and this person didn't because they had yep. better dexterity, and it's and that's how they gain the advantage or disadvantage. And and yeah, with five E, it's just there was a whole bunch of rules um, that there, there's a lot of them. Feel free to check them out. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting or nice is uh, they have a table of complications. So you just roll one D 20 and there's stuff on there. Like you run into an animal herd, you know, how to get through this and how it affects the chase. Um, so there are rules out there for it. Uh, if you want something that's a little bit 
easier to digest, um, maybe hit up the Pathfinder rules because they'll work same in Pathfinder as they do in 5e. It's like you roll decks, you roll decks, you win. There you go. Now, one of the things that I have, um, that I saw in a one shot that I ran, uh, mm-hmm. the very first like published adventure that those that have listened to, to the show for a while probably heard about when I did that. Um, but they had this kind of chase mechanic that they built in there where you had these eight or ten stages that the that the characters had to go through and and your your speed did play into it somewhat, but at each stage you had to make a choice of of a couple of different paths. And those t- couple of different paths would would have you roll a certain skill. So Maybe you had to find your way through this forest path and you rolled a survival skill, or maybe you had to um, to climb up this this rock face and you had to use your athletic skill. And based upon how you did on that skill, you could you could um, advance farther or or get held back. And so it added something else to that that chase mechanic. Yes, it added some some complexity into it, but it was interesting because you had kind of you had this you you laid it out and you had the the chaser behind them by x number of phases and then mm-hmm. based upon how well they did on 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 that round they could move forward one or more spots and then the the enemy would would do the same thing and they would choose a path and roll as well so um all that to say is there's a lot of different things that you can do especially with chase scenes you can absolutely follow the rules or use those rules as a basis, or you can completely build something else if the mechanics make sense for the game, the situation that you have. These, This one was was kind of going through a little bit of a wilderness area where they were trying to get back to the main road, and if they got to the main road, they were safe. So it, it made sense to have these kind of different paths that they could take. I do like that, though, especially because it offers a choice, right? And mm-hmm. anytime... I, I like any time that you can add or give the players agency over what's happening. I like that, um, especially when the choice is like you can try and climb this rock face. You're going to have to succeed on some climb rolls, um, but it's going to be super hard for them to chase you up there. But if you fail your climb rolls and they just show up and you're still trying to like belay your party members up there, <laughs> it's like, oh, no, quickly, quickly. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, we've been caught. Um, so yeah, it does and I think add those. the other... The other mechanic that they had in there is like if you got far enough ahead, you could do stuff like mark the. You could spend your turn marking the path so that when the re- the rest of your party that might be farther back got there, they would have additional bonuses to rolls and stuff like that. So there there were oh. several little interesting mechanical tidbits, and and I agree with you having having the choice rather than just hey we're I got a I got a good roll on my dexterity, um, so I I win. Or I got a bad roll of dexterity, so I lose. Um, having some choices there that that yes, it's still controlled somewhat by a roll, but but you have a little bit of hand in your destiny by saying I want to go down this path because it it's going to deal with stuff I know how to deal with better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, there's probably a lot of really fun homebrew stuff out there. If you want to include like uh, a really fun chase into your game, um, there's there's bound to be tons of amazing homebrew stuff out there. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. 
Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by level, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. So let's go and talk a little bit about mounts and vehicles. And I, I, uh, I, uh, I, I know that that uh, a couple of folks that listened to the the podcast when we were talking about um, um, the unstated mount rule a few episodes ago, they commented on that like, ah, hey, I learned something new in the unstated mount rule. <laughs> uh, so this doesn't really get into that. I just every time I think of mounts now, I think of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you get us started and talk a little bit about mounts in travel and and what they kind of how they affect travel. So as when you have a mount in travel, I know this is people's basically favorite time to use mounts because that's, you know, it's either that or for carrying their stuff. Um, but when you have a mount, uh, so let's say you've, you've purchased a horse from a local stable or something, um, but your horse can gallop for one hour per long rest. And that moves double the fast paced chart distance, right? So if the, if the horse it can, or... If you check the chart, I think, what are we looking at? 30, and so then fast is 60, and so then this thing can gallop at 120, like uh, squares per turn. 120 feet per six seconds, right? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go you math! nailed it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they can move super fast, and they can do that for an hour. Um, obviously, there's a chart in the DMG, or I'm sure that there's one also in Pathfinder, and it will do the rest of the math and stuff for you as far as, you know, how far it can go. Um, but the thing is, is it can only do it for one hour. Uh, after that, your horse is worn out. It's tired. It wants to stop. It wants to drink. It's not going to continue forced marching and dying or forced galloping at this point. <laughs> forced galloping. <laughs> forced galloping. Yeah. So <laughs> if if you're in a densely populated area, lots of little villages and stuff, and your players can find a way to to get a new mount every eight to ten miles or whatever, um, you they can clear tons and tons of distance really, really fast, but they're going to have to be getting new mounts every time. Because those mounts need to rest. So they could also ride them really hard for an hour, let them rest for eight hours, ride them really hard for eight hours or one hour, let them rest. But that doesn't, that's not going to get them where they need to go. So they do have to either rest the mounts or just walk on, like move normal speed with them. Or they can just bounce from town to town and see if they can, you know, set up a really fast network of horses, I guess. Yeah, if if you have players that are interested in doing that, it can it can definitely add some opportunities for uh, new situations to the game because you 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 have um, 
sure, you go to the next town, they've got some horses, but maybe they want to charge it a little bit more than you're willing to pay, so there's some chance to do a little negotiation. Or you, they have this plan to do it, and you get to the next town, and they don't have horses, so you've kind of spent your spent your mount and uh and gotten there but but uh to what effect you 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 still have to basically go at your normal pace the rest of the way so there's there's some ways that you can do that i would say that if you're going to do the latter um don't just have it be arbitrary i'm i hey look there's no no horses here you could have it be random to where you roll to see if there's horses available or roll to see how many horses are available because if you've got a party of, <laughs> of five and they can only get two horses that really doesn't do them as much good as as uh as having all five when you said roll to see how many horses there were i heard many i was like yeah they could be all mini horses <laughs> it's like yeah we got horses <laughs> Your, your mini horse can only stable of ponies. <laughs> your mini horse can only gallop sixty feet per second for yeah. six seconds. So, <laughs> just I'm just picturing like big barbarians with all these weapons and stuff, just like on pudding cup. <laughs> the pony. <laughs> uh, that could be a lot of fun. Um. So yeah, and uh, another thing is wagons and carriages. Uh, the thing that you strap mounts to. Well, I guess you you can do donkeys. I don't think most people consider donkeys as mounts. It, it depends on the person. I mean, yeah. you get a you get a halfling and donkey's a great mount. That would be. <laughs> would be. So, but yeah, wagons and carriages as far as their movement goes though, um they just move at the same rate as a standard party. And so all that does is save your party from getting tired, right? You can you can nap on the cart. You can read you know somebody's got to drive the cart obviously um but you're tr- basically transferring the work to the animals so it's not that the carts actually move faster it's just that you can relax while you're riding them so it's not you know it doesn't save you time oh but you can also carry a lot more stuff for mm-hmm. for the uh the hoarding party members um carts are usually a good idea so when you do, you say it follows the standard uh, travel rules. When you do that, I'm assuming you get like the the speed of the mule to determine like to determine how fast, slow, fast, slow, normal, and fast is. Is that correct? Yeah, you bet. So I think yeah, all the animals will have their own move speed. If not, standard would probably just be thirty. Um, and then they can also move fast, normal, and slow, like you said, like with the horse before, with the galloping. Um, but that's obviously going to cause a bit more problems. I wouldn't just, I wouldn't just say like, I know in the book it says that you that everybody incurs the same penalties. I would argue that if you are sitting in a cart with a horse, like drawing that cart, and it's it's just galloping at full speed, you're not just going to take a negative five to your perception like it's just it's going to be a very rough ride and i just feel like it's it's going to incur slightly more penalties um than if you're on your own two feet and 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 moving and stuff but that's me oh so you're saying maybe that there would be a a higher penalty for i think that there would be because you'd be getting jostled around like mad yeah that makes sense yeah i could see that yeah but I mean, each to their own. But that's that's me. But yeah, so your your party won't get exhausted. Um, I mean, obviously the animals will, uh, because they're the ones doing all the work. But you can pack a lot of stuff with you. Um, 
I personally, I love buying wagons and carriages. I don't think I've ever had a character who didn't. Because I, I have, all of my characters have always been hoarders. Like, ones that I personally make. I hoard <laughs> things. <laughs> like, yes, I would like this collectible rock. And I put that in my cart. And that's something I have now. I think most of my people retire as merchants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. I I have not really had many parties that have said, I want to get a wagon or anything. like. That. I think that they all are concerned that I'll be the uh, the vengeful DM and, and find <laughs> ways for the party to, for the wagon to get stolen or whatever. Um, I've only really played in one party that, that used it. And the only reason that they had the wagon was because they couldn't find enough horses for the whole party to ride. So they're like, all right, we can find a wagon and two horses. So let's do that. <laughs> yeah, that works. So. But uh, yeah, fun with wagons. Um, fun with wagons. That, that's our next podcast. Fun with yeah, wagons. <laughs> fun with wagons. I don't, yeah, that, uh, that might, yeah, it could probably happen. Um, aside from wagons, there's also boats. Now, I've never done like a boat th- or waterboard vessels because there's boats and ships. You could do the little paddle boats if you really wanted to. Um, might get a little bit. Eh, people run quirky campaigns. So that's okay. <laughs> um, but the pirate ships and, and big boats and rowboats, all that stuff, uh, which are pretty straightforward, right? They sit on the ocean um, or sea, river, whatever. But they're not being run by an animal unless you have lashed it to dolphins or something else, right? I've, you know, people talk about those. Giant so, sea turtles. Yeah, giant sea turtles. They can, with, don't you use the hair on your back to do that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're, they're limited to the speed rating of, of the boat itself, right? Um, so, well, the boat and, and the wind. Right. So if you if you have no wind out on the open ocean in your sailboat, it's probably not going very far, you know, unless you've got a lot of paddles and people to paddle said boat. Right. Especially if it's a big, big boat. Yep. Well, and and that's one of those situations where if you're taking a a sailing vessel across a large distance, you as the DM can either narratively talk about what's going on with the wind or something like that or you can um or you can randomize it to where you're um you're rolling on a on a daily basis weekly basis whatever to to determine how the wind is doing how fast they might be traveling and and go from there or you could just say yeah you took the boat and you got from here to there but what fun is that uh, <laughs> uh one other important thing i think about about traveling by a boat like that is that even though you're traveling there are plenty of opportunities that you can still have for the story to happen because because generally speaking no one is having to make the boat go so you're you are passengers on the boat and so all of the other passengers on the boat or the crew can have drama between them that introduces new storylines, new things that the, the the party may have to do, or the the destination may actually be trying to find something on the boat as it's as it's traveling. So mm-hmm. there's uh using using boats um or really any sort of thing like a boat, like you could you could apply this to things like airships as well. Um 
you you have the ability to, in addition to having travel, to weave in a storyline into that travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you're free to move around, which is nice. Um, <clears throat> it also, as a side note to that, is that because you're not you're not physically operating the boat, you can travel for up to 24 hours a day, and you don't have to worry about exhaustion. It's not the act of you moving within space that causes exhaustion. It's you physically moving yourself. And so you're not going to suffer from exhaustion and you don't take any penalties. If the boat is going really, really fast, um, you're not going to suffer um, perception penalties. And if the boat is going really, really slow, you're not sneaking. (laughs) You're still a boat. Uh, Oh, come on. My boat stealth roll was really high. (laughs) I rolled a 42 boat stealth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, bear in mind that, like, even though from the operation of the boat, you don't suffer exhaustion, your characters can still still do stupid things on the boat that would cause them to suffer exhaustion. <laughs> um, so it doesn't make you immune. It, it just <laughs> means that the act of traveling doesn't do that. So yeah. be real clear about that. <laughs> yeah, you can never underestimate what a party might do. <laughs> yep. Could be anything. So... I think the next thing that we wanted to talk a little bit about was was difficult terrain or uh, what's called hampered movement uh, for for Pathfinder, um, and and how that affects the movement of the party. So, first off, let's talk about what is difficult terrain. Difficult terrain, I I, I love difficult terrain. So anything that uh, you're not super stoked to step on. Uh, so, <laughs> right, ice, icy ground um, is definitely difficult terrain. Any sort of steep mountain or super steep hill, um, like an incredibly dense forest or even a moderately dense forest, um, anything really that's going to be rocky areas that have like difficult footing would would qualify as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a rogue that just dropped all thousand of their ball bearings on the ground, that probably would uh, would qualify. <laughs> yeah, any basically anything. If you think about it, and and like you as a person, you're like, would I run across this type of ca- this type of ground? Um, and the answer is no. That would probably hurt me. Then chances are it's difficult terrain. Um, you know, because it's just well, even sand that that wouldn't be that wouldn't hurt you to fall into, but it would be so hard to run through like sand dunes because it would just yep. it eats your feet. You know, it would just oh, it'd be exhausting. Yep. Um. So it all counts as difficult terrain, and the harder you have to work to get through it. So some of it is because the sand is sucking in your feet and it's making it hard for you to move. Some of it is like ice where it's, it's physically dangerous to try and go fast at all, right? You have to be incredibly careful where you're going to put your foot um, or you risk breaking an ankle or cracking your head open or I don't know, eating a face full of sand with (laughs) face full Uh, of sand. Yeah. And, and with the difficult terrain, when you're when you're moving, it's going to cost you two movement for one square. So basically, you're moving half as fast as you normally would be able to. Um, just to, to simplify that even more, if uh, if your party usually covers three miles in an hour, and you're going through difficult terrain, you're going to cover a mile and a half uh, uh, over that difficult terrain in an hour. 
Now, one thing I do like to to comment about this is that we're talking kind of about the the mechanics of this is how fast you'll move over that. But I also think that difficult terrain is a is a great um, role playing or even puzzle solving activity for parties that that don't rely upon like actual puzzles because they they might have to figure out how best to cross. Uh, difficult terrain without getting hurt, without getting maimed, whatever that may be. So don't just say, yeah, it's difficult terrain. You're moving a mile and a half an hour. Um, <laughs> explain what's going on. Explain the situation. Explain what the what the the terrain is like and why it's difficult. Because you might be surprised at what the party comes back with and says, oh, well, if it's if it's like that, then maybe I we can find a large board and just surf across across the sand <laughs> so that we're not having. I mean, you never know. It might be a good idea. It might be a terrible idea. Whatever it is, it's it's gonna be it's gonna add fun to the game because again, it's bringing that agency back to the players where they can make a decision on on what they want to do and how they want to approach the situation rather than just saying, "Oh yeah, your movements in half." And yeah, any- if they if they make that choice and it doesn't work, then sure, their movement is still in half, but at least they had some interaction with it rather than it just being there. Yeah, everybody likes the opportunity to get to try. And, you know, some of them might just be like, okay, well, I slog across this swamp. And that's all they want to do. They don't want to try anything crazy. Um, Not most parties I've met, but (laughs) some of them are just (laughs) happy with with the status quo, you know. Um, But it's nice to give them the option. One thing I did notice when I was looking up difficult terrain and uh, and then I looked up Pathfinder stuff for hampered movement was in in D&D 5e, when they talk about difficult terrain, they're literally just talking about what's on the ground. You know, like you're going to break an ankle or something like that. What are you going to step on? But when I was looking into Pathfinder... Um, they also were talking about poor visibility, which I, I love. It absolutely belongs in difficult terrain because if you are walking through an incredibly foggy area, um, it doesn't matter really how, like if the floor has any uneven, unevenness to it at all, if you can't see it, you're probably going to trip on it. Yep. Well, and, and if you're following a road, um, there's a lot bigger chance that you might fall off the road, step <laughs> off the road because the road is twisty and you don't see it as well. Or if you're if you're walking through a forest and are not sure of your path, it's a lot easier to get lost. So you could, mm-hmm. in addition to having kind of those difficult terrain rules, you could also have navigation roles to make sure that the party stays on path and determine how far off path that they can get, which again goes back to that how long travel is taking to get from point A to point B if that's important in your game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, I love the poor visibility thing. It just, it makes sense. It, I'm going to write Wizards of the Coast a letter and be like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> why is this not in your game? Um, Somebody ought to write a letter. <laughs> yeah. I'll write a letter. <laughs> All right. So um, when we started this off, we kind of had an idea that this might split into two episodes and it really is looking timeline wise like it's going to split into two episodes so i'm going to actually uh wrap up for today here uh we will continue this conversation and get into the really fun interdimensional and time travel in our next episode so make sure you join us for the second half of this travel conversation uh but until then stay stay nerdy nerdy, friends. friends 
Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.